what CEOs and CIOs are hearing is that of the three emerging technologies, AI, IoT, and blockchain, the one that is likely to be the most disruptive and the one more likely to hit a widespread of different industries is in fact AI. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. IT leaders are being called upon to lead a transformation within their businesses, a digital transformation. Today, I'm joined by one of the foremost authorities on digital transformation and the author of Driving Digital, Isaac Sokolik. Isaac has served as CIO and CTO in several industries and for companies from startups to multinational organizations. Welcome to the show, Isaac. Jeff, I'm really happy to be here with you. Um, it's exciting. You know, uh, you were a big supporter of my book when it came out, and I'm a big fan of your book, and, and uh, we love collaborating on uh, social media, so I'm really excited to do this, uh, this cast with you. I wanted to start with a look at the future. We're getting ready to release our predictions ebook. And I know you were generous enough to help us out with uh, one of your predictions for 2019. And it was kind of a provocative prediction. To summarize, you said 2019 may be a day of reckoning for many organizations. What leads you to say that? And, and what's an IT leader to do in 2019? Yeah, you know, I, I gave that thought a lot. And, you know, uh, you mentioned early that uh, I've done a number of transformations already with, you know, small and larger corporations. And, you know, as hard as it is to get a transformation program started and to get a strategy and to get alignment of the executives and to get funding and to get you know, the organization starting to implement things and, and think through how to change, uh, you know, transformation programs don't get implemented in six months or 12 months or 18 months. They're multi-year programs. And, uh, you know, there's a few things that happen inside organizations over that time. Uh, first is uh, some of the leaders, uh, and you would expect this, want to start seeing results and value from the things that, that were implemented early. Uh, so, you know, for, for CIOs who have been doing transformation programs for two, three, four years now, uh, they better have a good story to tell. Uh, showing results through automation or showing results through some new applications, new ways of people working together. There, there needs to be a good uh, communications and marketing program internally about what are some of the impacts that are happening from all the work that everybody's doing. Um, and part of that is, you know, as you're starting to do more of these things that are impactful, you know, I talk a little bit about this on my blog in terms of uh, detractors to the program. Not everybody is a winner. Yeah. You know, there are yeah. people and organizations that are tied to the legacy business models in terms of how you're selling products or how you're implementing things or, you know, what the world was like pre-automation um, or in technology, you know, maybe maybe you're doing a cloud migration as part of your strategy, and there are people who are really focused on data center work. So, you know, there's a lot of detraction that will come in as you're, as you're feeling success. Um, and so, those are some things that uh, I think CIOs who are in this, you know, sort of th year three or four of their journey, 
uh, I think those are things they have to consider. I think the last thing, and I think this is really why, you know, I called it a day of reckoning. I mean, we've, we've seen the markets have some jitters the last couple months. Uh, there are those who think that, that we're, you know, we're in a bubble again, that we might be hitting a recession over the next year or two. And, and so we know that as soon as there's any kind of downturn in the economy or some, some uncertainty in, in the economy or, or uh, you know, what customers are spending with us, you know, that, that has a ripple effect in terms of what organizations are willing to fund and spend and how fast right, people are right. willing to move. And so, you know, I am concerned about that. I don't think that's going to necessarily um, – have organizations stop what they're doing. I think they're still going to feel pressure to keep innovating and moving their organizations forward, but it might be harder to, you know, uh, sponsor and promote the next part of the program. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was the rationale behind that. You mentioned your blog. It's a uh, tremendous reading, but I, I was reading your, your most recent post about uh, uh, five uh, predictions for 2019. And one of them really jumped out at me. Uh, and that was the one where you talk specifically about AI and a couple of reality checks uh, related to AI. Can you tell us a little bit more specifically about that? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, what CEOs and CIOs are hearing is that, you know, of the three emerging technologies, AI, IoT, and blockchain, the one that is likely to be the most disruptive and the one that's uh, the one that's more likely to hit a widespread of different industries is, in fact, AI. And so I, I, I do quote some research there uh, that AI advances will increase global GDP by up to 14% between now and 2030 and another uh, 15%. $0.7 trillion uh, by then. So we're talking really big numbers and really big impact. And like every other transformation that involves in emerging technologies, there's an on-ramp, there's a learning curve, there's a, a level of investment that needs to happen. And so, you know, there are, you know, some people who feel like they're lagging in this and there's some people who feel like they have to jump in. Um, and so, you know, I, again, I think there needs to be some tempered approaches to how you how organizations are investing in AI in particular. Uh, first and foremost, uh, they need to have a strong discipline around agile and experimentation. And the reason is, is that this isn't just, uh, you know, uh, a story about an implementation. I want to move to the cloud or I want to build a new mobile application. This is looking at the organization's data. Um, it's looking at ways it can impact its end users. And it's going through a series of experimentation in terms of what types of questions to ask, what types of algorithms, what types of infrastructure is needed to be able to get results out of a, an artificial intelligence. So you, you need the culture of being able to you know, pivot, to do experimentation, to do agile iterations against things. And, and not all organizations have hit that yet. Um, and the second part of this is really around the data and really having relatively clean data and tagged data if you're doing supervised learning. So, uh, you know, data is really important when it comes to artificial intelligence. We know most organizations are still implementing areas of their data governance. And so if you, you know, you throw bad data, you throw uh, data that doesn't have, that has built-in biases into an AI, you're really going to have uh, subpar results coming out of it. Um, I also think that organizations need to do some 
looking at the underlying platforms. I think there's a lot of talk about going right into the, you know, the core TensorFlows and the PyTorches and the underlying pl uh, platforms that make machine learning and AI really possible. But I think there's a, you know, I, I've been to a few conferences. There's a number of vendors out there that are selling easier to use on-ramp type of technology so that the artificial intelligence is more accessible. Um, there's also platforms that are now embedding AI inside. Um, so these are things like um, operating technologies uh, that put uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning in their delivery. And so there's a lot of different avenues for an organization to invest in AI. And so they have to be smart about where they're focused. You have to be smart about, you know, what are the what is the practice and the data required uh, and be smart about how you go about um, executing these programs. So uh, that was the basis behind that particular prediction is be smart about how you're going about doing it. So, so I want I want to talk a little bit more about AI here for just a second. And you know, several years ago, in with the environmental movement, there was this concept of greenwashing, where uh, companies were coming out with products and calling them "quote unquote" green when they were in fact just the same old products. Do we have that same thing going on in AI today that companies are releasing products and and slapping the AI moniker on them and they're they're really no different than they were five years ago? Well, I would say they're probably different than they were five years ago. Uh, they may or may not have AI inside. You know, the difference I think is in terms of, you know, what is, what is that platform presenting to you? And is, is that automation or is that intelligence or is that convenience that it's presenting to you as the end user? Is that giving you something of value? You know, and if it's, you know, a neural network with a deep learning, you know, multi-layer system in the cloud doing this, or if it's some edge computing device doing reinforcement learning, that's part of that, that's great. And if at the end of the day, it's just a regression algorithm um, or some heuristical rules or some, you know, very simple natural language processing parsers that are solving the problem. Uh, and the, the platform is deciding to call it artificial intelligence. You know, I'm a little okay with that as long as it's solving the problem and providing me convenience. Right. Uh, if it's getting my attention and, and really helping my organization move forward, we can call it whatever we want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the comment you made earlier about data. And in fact, uh, in your book, which uh, you know I'm a big fan of, of your book, you have a section in there about data. And I, I would love your take on how companies can become data driven, but also you, you use the phrase, the data sins of our past. How can, how can companies begin to overcome those data sins? Yeah. So, you know, I, again, I, I was lucky to have worked at a few companies where data is in fact, and analytics were part of their products. Um, and so we had to very quickly accelerate how we were delivering analytics and intelligence back to our end users and how to fulfill people who are looking for data science work um, and data science intelligence, as well as those who are just learning how to work with analytics. Um, so I got to see a lot of things early up front. And uh, the very first thing I started feeling and started to write about was 
you know, it really wasn't a big data problem. It was a, a, a sum of a large number of little siloed data problems that I was feeling inside my organization. And then, you know, now that I do some consulting, I see it in everywhere that I go. I'm talking about uh, spreadsheets and small data marts, um, individual silo databases, copies and pastes of different uh, uh, data sources all over the place. And when I did some research for the book, it, I, you know, I didn't realize how big of a problem it was. But um, you know, a research firm quantified it, and they and they came out and said that there's about sixty billion dollars a year wasted just in the manual manipulation. Uh, of data in spreadsheets. And then I tell a story in the book about a company who's who had their data and, and spreadsheets analyzed and they looked at you know how many spreadsheets and how many formulas and how many errors there were in the formula and how many copy and pastes of the exact same spreadsheet there were and uh, this 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 study was about a, a company called Enron so I think the first you know I think the first sin is just you know recognizing you know I'm not telling people get rid of Excel um, or start stop having you know doing analysis but at some point you need to start centralizing your data repositories. You have to think about how to build automation in terms of how you're doing your analytics. Um, and, and, you know, I think solving this, the silo data problem is something that every CIO and increasingly more CISOs are becoming aware of, and you just got to chip away of it. So I think that's one of the sins of the past. I think a second one, you know, when big data first came out and Hadoop clusters came out, I think our inclination was let's go build the infrastructure to support all this data processing and we will look for customers and problems to solve with it later. I think that was a, you know, a byproduct of how we ran data centers. They were long lead times to set up infrastructure. You know, uh, Hadoop clusters needed a lot of processing power and a lot of storage. And, you know, if you flip forward today, you know, there's a lot of different options, private cloud, public cloud, to get the infrastructure that you need. And so I think that, you know, the way to think about data today is think about, you know, what problem you're solving, what is, you know, what is the opportunity around it, what insights you're looking for. Assume that you can actually solve that problem with the, with the data that you have or data that you can reach. How is it going to impact your business? And when you can find problems and analysis that can impact your business, then you can work backwards and say, you know, what data do I have? What's its level of cleanliness? Um, how do I bring multiple data sources together? Am I missing some data sources that I have to get at? Do I need some more infrastructure to process more data than I normally do? Then you can really start solving the infrastructure problem. And, and I think the third thing, you know, I, I sort of highlighted it in the first is this this big word called data governance. Uh, it's a word I think most more organizations are starting to understand from different sides of it. But you know what I tell people is if you put a data visualization on top of any single data set, you know, with, without regard to what is underneath it, it might be your CRM data, it might be you know your your operational data. The very first thing you're going to see is poor data quality, uh, and when there's gaps of data or when you know a salesperson hasn't filled out data the way you want them. Uh, so you're going to start thinking about how to improve the data quality. You're going to th start thinking about how to make the data more accessible and how to democratize it um, so that more people can use it to ask different questions. So you're going to think about developing data catalogs and dictionaries so that people use the data the way it was intended. Um, and then you're going to start communicating policies. Who has access to what data? 
How can it be used? These are all the types of things that go into data governance. And if you start jumping in and solving data problems without you know, on the side, figuring out what your governance models are and how you're going to address these issues. Well, you know, there's a big, you know, one of the big four companies out there in the news right now getting themselves in trouble because of that. So I think that's in the back of mind of CIOs and CISOs. And that's one of the things that organizations that are trying to, you know, grow revenue or become more competitive with data need to think about. It, it really goes back to that old adage, uh, garbage in, garbage out. And and uh, the more companies rely on data, the more that uh, that sin of the past, as you call it, raises its head, right? I mean, that's that's what we're talking about here is garbage data in a lot of ways. Well, I, I mean, I, I, let's not talk about it in binary terms, right? You know, no data is perfectly clean and no data is complete garbage, right? So what we're really talking about is an iterative approach, you know, get some value out of the data that you have, learn from it, discover from it, um, consider what you're learning in terms of the underlying data quality. And so as you're trying to get value on the data on the left side, use your right side to improve the governance and improve the quality yeah. around it. Uh, hey, I know from from uh, your social media posts, in fact, that's I always l joke with people and say, uh, you know, Isaac and I, we met online. That always sounds bad, but we really did meet through social media, through Twitter and some of those feeds. And I started reading a lot of your work around Agile um, and the Agile methodology, how to bring that into a, an IT shop it's become even more important when you think about digital transformation. But but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do you take that agile mentality and spread it throughout an organization beyond IT? Yeah. So, you know, I talk a lot about that in the book because, you know, there's a lot of literature out there around, you know, how to, you know, run a scrum and uh, how to scale Scrum, for example, or what goes into writing good user stories. So there's you know, a lot out there on the mechanics of running a Scrum or an agile process and how to manage it. Um, there wasn't a lot out there in terms of, well, how do you apply Scrum and agile toward organizational goals toward improving customer experiences or even to improving your data quality, right? How do you apply it to, you know, a long-term ongoing business objective and get the benefits of Agile that you're, you know, getting a collaborative, multi-skilled, multi-disciplined, diverse team problem solving, thinking short-term because we're thinking in two-week or three-week sprints. Uh, we're increasingly de uh, developing things uh, with automation and putting DevOps in so we can deliver things more frequently. So how do you get that sort of short-term execution on what's most important, but also deliver on long-term results? And you know, So I think a lot of companies... Uh, and CIOs, uh, chief technology officers, certainly chief digital officers are thinking about this. Um, and, you know, there's certain parts to it that I think that are, are key and important. First is this notion of product and customer focus, that we're not just um, improving the technology or improving the delivery um, over a two-week pe period. It's, you know, how is it impacting customers? It's what are we learning about from customers that's going to drive our priorities? Um, and uh, how do we divide that up into small and bite-sized chunks? I think, you know, the second part in terms of transformation is uh, 
there's a post I did about a year ago. You know, you, you can do agile in your IT department, but really agile is, is is where I see organizations either winning or losing on the business IT side of of, of getting the collaboration that you need. Right, so it's not an IT process. Um, so when we talk about transformation and getting more of the organization involved and getting feedback from them, I think Agile has a lot of the mechanics to enable that. Uh, and then once you get that feedback, it's this notion that I don't know exactly what I want three months from now or six months from now. I'm going to use that feedback at the end of every sprint and adjust and course correct. Something I thought was important isn't important anymore. Uh, something that we implemented needs additional investment to get it right. Um, we want to put some more data gathering in, in, a, in uh, a place so that it becomes more usable for us. So I think when you think about transformation, you think about a strategy and you think about an endpoint, but you also think about what feedback I need along the way to make sure that I'm heading the transformation in the right direction. How do I get more people involved? And agile practices are designed to really do both of those things for organizations. So you you published Driving Digital about a year ago. And I know from from following what you've been doing since, you've talked to a lot of different people. You've been to a lot of different conferences. You've spoken to a lot of, uh, a lot of different audiences. What have you learned as you've been out talking to people and has it changed your thinking on driving digital? Well, you know, it's an interesting question because, you know, I think back to 2007 when McGraw-Hill hired me to be the CIO for Business Week at that time. And, uh, you know, uh, at that time, they were trying to invest in uh, a product that was essentially Dig and Reddit for the business user. Uh, it was called Business Exchange. And then we went on to do a lot of automation of how we deliver content on businessweek.com. And so I looked at the management team there and I said, you really want to build a software company inside Business Week, inside McGraw-Hill, acting like a startup, doing agile development and figuring out how to deliver analytics so that we can uh, optimize a product that's uh, a socially aware product. And they looked at me and they said, yep, that's exactly what we want to do. And so now, you know, you flash forward, you know, 10 years later and you hear statements like every company has to be a technology company and every company has to be, you know, truly competitive with its analytics. And so I would say the first thing I've learned is that, you know, CIOs and CEOs are still are starting to get it. Um, they're realizing that it it's, you know, either sink or swim with how they're leveraging technology uh, to competitive advantage. We're all homing in on a lot of the sim same similar types of practices that we have to put in place, you know, whether it's agile or it's DevOps or having a self-service BI program. A lot of us, particularly we talk a lot on, on social media around technical debt um, and how to address our legacy items um, slowly as we're building up new things. Uh, we talk a lot about how to slowly get value out of emerging technology. Uh, so we're all going after the same things. We're all going after it in some of the same ways. But what we really talk about is um, how every organization is different in terms of its starting culture, its starting practices, the way people think about the business, the types of markets that we're going into. And so, uh, you know, what I learn every time I go to a conference or I, I do an interview with somebody is uh, 
just how much organizations and leadership has to adapt. Um, so it's not just agile. It's how do you make agile work when everybody is co-located or maybe nobody is co-located or maybe you're a three and a half million dollar charity like uh, one of my clients, Charity Navigator, that's trying to do agile and change the way it's rating charities, um, but they don't have you know, a business analyst and they don't have a scrum master and they're still trying to run scrum internally. So that, you know, the path that people are taking is very organizationally focused. Uh, they're recognizing the nuances of what their current culture is and what they're trying to change about it uh, to make them more faster and smarter and more innovative. Uh, and that's what I'm learning every time I go out to the to different uh, people and leaders and organizations and conferences is about how they're going about doing that. You touched on this a little bit in your answer about uh, creating uh, products within a corporate IT department. And this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart as the product executive for, for InterVision. Is uh, this impact of digital on product strategy and product processes? Why is this product management piece so important to digital transformation? Uh, and why do you think this is so difficult for companies to undertake? Great question. You know, and this is one of the things I really like talking about because it's, it's while, you know, product management isn't necessarily new for startups and it's not necessarily new for technology companies, it's really new for organizations doing digital transformation where they're not selling technology as a product or a service. Now, so if you look at a digital strategy and we all talk about, you know, how to articulate it and how to communicate it and what goes into it. But, you know, we talk about missions, we talk about markets, we talk about goals. Uh, we might end up talking about who the end customer is and what's the user experience and journey and personas and what's the path to value, right? So look, look those are all the sort of top-down things that we talk about that go into understanding customer experience and, and uh, uh, you know, digital strategy. And then you look at you know, your typical IT organization that grew up out of idle and service management and very ticket based. And when somebody asked for something and it was, you know, labeled as high priority, um, that's what we went and ch uh, chased after. Yeah. And, you know, we sort of dealt with, you know, whether or not uh, we had enough resources to do all the tickets that were coming in. Well, that's not really a strategic way to run an IT organization that's trying to really move their business po forward. And so when you look at what's the gap there, how do I get out of chasing tickets and chasing, you know, the thing from the, the loudest consumer and get more strategic and say, I'm going to understand what the strategy is. I'm going to understand what KPIs I'm trying to adjust. I'm going to define who my end users are and what's important to them. I'm going to define what their value uh, equation looks like and how I'm going to measure whether I'm impacting them. Um, and... I'm going to take a voice of customer, but then I'm going to be strategic about how I'm going to define an end user experience that delivers all that. What I just defined is key elements of being a product manager and being a product owner. It's to take that strategy, listen to a lot of voices of stakeholders and end users and home it into how do I go about implement this, 
implementing this in a strategic way that delivers value. Um, and so that's classically what I think uh, has been missing in IT organizations. I think CIOs have to think about how to develop that skill set, that practice in their organizations. And that's where I think, you know, going from just delivering incremental value to one that's really delivering transformational value where uh, a product mindset is going to help them. I, I love that uh, that tie into a non tech company and uh, corporate IT and and taking that product mindset and applying it to the delivery of your applications or the or the growth of your applications. I think we've been uh, a lot of folks uh, in corporate IT have been searching for that answer. Uh, for a long time, and so I think you've really struck a chord there that that I'm going to take away from from this conversation. It's it's always such a pleasure to to chat with you, Isaac. I learn something new every time we talk, uh, and I really appreciate that. But I, I'd love to hear from you. What one question that I didn't ask you that you think our audience needs to hear your insights into? Well, you know, look, I mean, uh, best way to follow my insights and my interests is just keep, you know, following me where I'm writing and where I'm speaking. You know, this digital transformation and driving digital is also an ongoing effort. Uh, so you can see it, you know, from my writing on, on Star CIO, that's blogs.starcio.com. Um, if you ask me a question on Twitter, that's NY Ike on Twitter. And, uh, you know, if you take the book and want to know where my book leaves off driving digital, I do workshops and consulting off of it. This has been uh, tremendous, Isaac. I, I really appreciate it. We've covered a lot of ground here today, and I think our listeners will be able to take away several nuggets that they can apply right away. The the ones that really jumped out at me uh, were the the uh, if you're not doing agile, that's that's the difference between winning or losing in business and IT alignment. Something we've all struggled with in the past. Uh, those are the companies that are doing. Uh, that alignment well, um, that we all have to adapt. We may be in different industries, but if we can adapt and take the path towards this digital transformation, our path may look differently, but we're going to end up in a similar place. And then finally, this this concept about bringing this product management mentality into a corporate IT shop, I think is is critical. For our listeners out there, you can go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun and Isaac Sokolik. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.